This is Creativity in Captivity, and I'm Pat Hazel. Today, we immerse ourselves in storytelling with a writer and story consultant that has an epic career in TV, film, digital media, gaming, location-based entertainment, and brand storytelling. Her global reach includes projects like Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, Star Wars Launch Bay, Hyperspace Mountain, and Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind. She has a long pedigree in Imagineering and is featured in the Disney Plus series Behind the Attraction. Coming up, the author of the new book, Immersive Storytelling for Real and Imagined Worlds, Margaret Kirison. That spark of electricity, a skipping stone that sets you free, you're captive to a mystery, the curse of creativity. Hi, Pat. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you were available and game to come on. Oh, yeah, definitely. I was looking forward to our conversation, for sure. Good. Well, let's dive into the definition of immersive storytelling, because it's everywhere now, and also there are many people who don't know exactly what it means. So would you mind sort of starting off with a definition of what people should be thinking of as immersive storytelling? Yeah, sure. I think there's three main things to remember when you're thinking about immersive storytelling. But first and foremost, as creators and storytellers, to use the multiple senses to immerse you in a story environment. And so a lot of that has to do with not only using all of your senses, but also feeling present in the moment. So for you to be transported into a completely new world where you suspend your disbelief and you believe that you are actually there. So in immersive storytelling, we see a lot of different ways that people try to immerse you in the various worlds that they're trying to build and create. And for us, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge was one example of immersing you in the story of Star Wars in a physical environment where it's multi-sensory, where you can see, touch, taste, hear, feel and talk to characters within that world, what's important about immersive storytelling is it gives you as an audience member agency, a level of participation and a role in the story. So it's something that we often think about as immersive storytellers is we're not just telling a story to you, you're a part of that story. So how do you, as a participant, engage? And we want to be able to give you different levels of engagement that you're comfortable with as well. So if you just want to come by and walk around, look around, great. But if you want to be part of the story, if you really want to be immersed and engaged in ways that you've never tried before, that's great too. So we're always cognizant of the fact that some people go into an experience or a world and just want to be a passive observer, but ultimately immersive storytelling is putting you as a character in that world. Right, and so I think particularly when you make a journey through a museum or you're in an escape room or you're somewhere where you have to make decisions and you have to look different directions or choose to be proactive, I guess, with the story, that advances the story as you go. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean. Even if you think about it from a museum format, when you think about a 
visitor coming into your museum and deciding where to go first, which gallery to go in first, which room, which art, which interactive installation that they want to participate in first, you put the visitor in the role of a director in a way, right? Where they decide to look, where they decide to walk in their adventure and in their path and in their journey. They're making up their own hero's journey. So in the museum space, yes, definitely. And also in any other type of immersive space, whether it's in theme parks, location-based entertainment, or even these days in retail or anything else that people are trying to immerse you into their brand or their world, there's a chance and opportunity for you as a visitor or as a participant to put a mark in this story or in this journey, in this path, depending on what you're creating for the visitor. So it's a chance for you to not only be this observer or witness to stories that don't involve you, but is there a way for you to partake in a story that's meaningful to you? And that's something that you can engage and participate in. Because that's the third thing about immersive storytelling is that it should feel social, that there's a reason for you to go there in person so that you can connect with other people, whether it's people that you came to the experience with, a way for you to connect with the characters that are part of your experience, or a way for you to connect with strangers. Depending on the scope of your world, that's a question that you should ask yourself is what is that social connection that you want to strive for, for your particular world? Well, you mentioned leaving a mark. And I guess I wonder, do you then become part of the continued narrative? If it's something where you've participated in the art or you've participated in the action, in some ways you are now a part of that story as it continues for others. Yeah, I think that that's one of the more exciting opportunities for a lot of immersive storytelling experiences and formats is that people are more interested in creating and being a part of that storytelling journey rather than just being those passive observers. So how do you create that platform and that opportunity for them to feel part of it as co-creators to your experience. And I've seen all kinds of different experiences from, you can see the very basic form in museums where they ask you to do a little piece of artwork or to write your feedback or answer questions that they pose on the wall for you. And people can write or draw their answers and their reactions to a museum exhibit. But in more extreme forms of world building, and especially as we think about the metaverse and all of this, how can you make a more persistent mark in the world where people can respond to it, react to it, play in the whatever you've created in that world? Like we're seeing that more and more so. And there's a lot of blurring between those lines, right? Like I think that it's exciting to think about well, what if you create something virtually that ultimately you can produce and create in real life and vice versa? What if it's something that you create in the real world that you can share virtually? I think that there's so many opportunities and possibilities of experimentation and exploration of what that can really mean. 
you're a writer, so you know how to write a narrative story. But as you look at immersive storytelling, you're including any of your experience in placemaking and in world building. And I know that in your book, you talk about real and imagined worlds. So I understand that there's a purpose for each of those. But when you get to build a fantasy world, what's your favorite part of making that all happen? It's a good question. I think there's so many ways to answer that. But my favorite part is knowing what the rules are, the parameters are, the guardrails are of that world, and knowing what my tools are in the sandbox for me to create whatever sandcastle or whatever sand anything I want. And I think that what's exciting is how different storytellers approach that differently based on their experiences, based on their unique perspectives, and based on what they would like to see as something aspirational for guests and visitors to experience in the world. So I think that with every creator, storyteller, artist you approach, they're going to have a very different take, a very different lens into what they can create. I guess a good simple analogy is if you leave a bunch of scraps and materials in a room, crayons, markers, ribbons, paper, wood, all of these things, and you ask different people to come into that space and build something given the parameters of the world. And it's very interesting to me how an artist or and a storyteller can approach that very uniquely. And I think that that's exciting to me as a storyteller to see how using these tools and techniques and different mediums and raw material, storytellers can really expand other people's imagination by exploring and experimenting with different things. And I, as a creative, find that very invigorating and very inspiring. And when I meet those people within my own team, and we have a really crazy brainstorming session and come up with all kinds of crazy ideas. That's that's my favorite part of creating fantastical worlds is to be able to be like, that's a great idea. Let's run with it. It's just the whole yes and and creating something that other people can be excited about. Sure. And the collaborative nature that you're birthing a baby with a team. It has a little bit of everybody's DNA in it. An extreme example of the crayons and ribbons in a room is something like Meow Wolf, where multiple artists are doing sections that are essentially each their own world as you turn a corner. And then within that, I mean, there are people who go through that and have no idea that there's a narrative story. (laughs) And then there are people who get deeply into trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah, it's interesting because... That's something when I do go through Meow Wolf, there are some areas that make sense to me and some that do not, because I think that, again, it comes down to that individual artistic expression of what they perceive to be whatever theme or concept they're given, right? And I think as a guest and as a participant coming into such a space, you have to be very open to experience art and experience a world through someone else's eyes. I mean, isn't that what storytelling is about too, right? You want to build that. It's a way for you to build empathy and to step into someone else's shoes and to be able to see through someone else's eyes and to get a glimpse of how they see the world. And so I think that 
places like Meow Wolf does very interesting work because they're really pushing on the notion of shared art and creativity and expression and whether or not that's something other people will enjoy. And not just by appreciating in art in a museum, but one that you can touch and interact with and bring your family and friends and do things. It's about the verbs, right? Like going down a slide, like climbing, crawling, ducking, whatever it is that you're doing. It's not just about walking and looking. It's about really being completely engaged and using all of your senses to experience something because more and more we're living lives that we're just sitting and watching a screen or looking at our screens and being isolated and disconnected. So in a way, I think that there's such a need for it, for us to get out there and to partake in these physical experiences and really feel each other's energy and be in each other's presence. The overkill of screens where we feel like we are going places, we have a tendency to be doing in a very sedentary place. There's a certain feeling of sadness to me at an airport or an airplane. I see all these people who were flying through the air looking at their phone. They're not looking out the window. They're not experiencing the world because somehow their avatar is engaged in a war on their phone. (laughs) You know, I think there's like always a time and place. It's always in moderation. And I think that I love reading and I love binge watching. I have my favorite films and TV shows and all of these things. And I still love going into the theater and playing games. But I think it's all in moderation because I think that as human beings, we need to have that variety of connection and interaction and having that social aspect to how we live our lives. And I think the issue a lot of the times is that we tend to, now if you think about it, it's like we're entertained, we communicate and we work all being dependent on screens, right? So the easier it is shopping, all of that stuff. I think that it just makes it so seamless. We're reducing that friction to do all the things that we used to do without the screen before. And I think I grew up in a time when I wasn't so dependent on that yet. So I still know the benefits and the advantages of getting out in the real world and doing all of those things. But I do a lot of things on the screen too. So I think that it's just really making sure that you were able to experience the human experience in all the different ways, not just through sight and sound. That's why it is important to get out there and engage all of your senses and feel the touch of someone and smell something and walk to get to a place, feel like you earned it and have those various ways to engage so that you don't feel like you're just experiencing one thing in one way at all times. Yeah. And I think again, with the advent of immersive storytelling, there is a much more sense of taking technology and using it within the storytelling so that people can do both. So if you're solving a puzzle or playing a game, it's not really just your character now. You are the protagonist within the story. As you said, you're on the hero's journey. So if you don't decide to go up in that treehouse or you decide not to 
physically move to that situation or pick up that item. I mean, I think the people who are doing it more cleverly are realizing the person has to be their playing piece. It can't be that they move something along. It has to be them, their heart and soul and brain that are feeling that emotion. I mean, the impact of these museums that are a Holocaust museum or a 9-11 memorial, it's a deeply emotional experience when the story is told well, and it's not just all paper behind glass. Yeah, for sure. I think that those two examples are great examples because I remember the first time I experienced both. I physically felt something. I think in when I went through the Holocaust Museum, I think I had to run to the restroom like three times because it was so disturbing to me to the point where I had a physical reaction to it. And I think that when you are so immersed in that story, in that world, and this is something that I feel very strongly about in very engaging storytelling, is that you feel like you're present right then and there. You feel like you are experiencing what the creator and the storyteller hopes for you to experience whether it's positive or negative emotions, it's something visceral and something so powerful that you cannot ignore. And I think that a lot of that feeling of presence has a lot to do with you understanding your purpose too. Because what is it that we're trying to understand about ourselves as humans and trying to understand why we do what we do and also trying to understand each other and trying to evolve and learn from things that we've done in the past and how we can use that for any type of growth and learning in the future. So I think that it's interesting to think about when you go into a museum, the role that you play is as oftentimes when people think, well, you know, I'm going to just like wander and just be a, passive observer all this I think that a lot of the times as you're reading and learning about whatever subject matter you're immersing yourself in you're changing and that's something that really great immersive experiences do is that you come in a certain person and you come out transformed and some of the best storytelling out there is when you have changed when you've transformed and when you step out of that experience you're able to see the world in a different light. Whether that's positive, whether that's a change that you question, the state of the world, I think that ultimately as storytellers, that's a big goal of ours. It's how can we transform the audience one story at a time? Because if you're given that opportunity and that platform to tell that story, what are you gonna change? How are you going to help people change themselves for the better? Yeah, and I think what's interesting is the writer and the story development team has a really interesting responsibility, which is to offer perspective. And what I'm interested in is when you're offering a personal perspective, a point of view that you want to indicate that will help with transformation. How does that personal story turn into a universal story when each person enters that world? I think that's a great question. And I often use this quote by James Joyce when 
he was interviewed about his stories. And one of the interviewers had asked him, why do you always write about Dublin? And he had said, in the particular is contained the universal. I'm paraphrasing. But his point is that when you are specific, when you give a unique perspective of your world, you're able to share in something that is truly universal, in which we're tapping on universal feelings and emotions and concepts that are readily accessible to all of us, which is that we all feel love, hatred, jealousy, envy. I mean, Shakespeare knew this very well, that no matter who you are and what your station is in life, you know what it feels like to have those universal human emotions, that all of us go through all of these various situations in our lives that we can have empathy, that we can understand what that's like. And in fact, we can almost put ourselves in and wonder, well, what if that were me? What if I were in that situation? That's why I love those type of stories, like reading the book, The Road by Cormac McCarthy and thinking about, oh my gosh, like what if I did live in such a apocalyptic world like that, this dystopian world, what would I do? to help make my son feel safe and how do I survive and how far would I go in order to make sure that my loved ones are safe. So I think that the more specific you are in bringing your personal perspectives into something is when I feel like it's going to be the more universal because if you write for a general audience and you start with, all right, I think I'm going to write something so superficial and derivative and thinking it's very universal. It will feel like everything else. It will feel like all the stories that you've seen and heard from before. It becomes derivative. But what can you, from your personal experience, from your unique perspective, bring on to your stories that make it feel like it's something new because there is no other you in the world, right? There's plenty of other Hemingways and Shakespeare's and all of that stuff. So there are a lot of Shakespeare's, all those Shakespearean writers. <laughs> exactly. But how do you make something your own? What prevents you from telling a story in your own voice, in your own language, in your own words, in a way that you've never seen or heard or read or experienced before? Because in doing that, I feel like when I go to those type of experiences, that's when I feel like, wow, this feels so unique and different because it's not something I've ever experienced before, yet it hits on all of the universal emotions and themes that I'm familiar with. It goes a little bit back to the golden rule, treat others the way you want to be treated, in that as you mentioned the word language and point of view, it is so much more important that we have a diverse pool of storytellers. So it's different genders, it's different ethnicities, because the narrator of a story often helps at least the perspective of the point of view that they're intending for you comes from a place where there is much to learn, but not if it's the same storyteller, and I cannot remember the quote, but it's something along the lines of, as long as the stories are being told from the perspective of the hunter, the lion will never be heard. 
his version of the story will never be heard. And, and it is really, really powerful to think about, oh, the point of view of the lion is quite important in that hunt. Yeah, for sure. And I think that all these stories are important, but being able to hear it from different perspectives and different voices is so important because we've been hearing from the same storytellers for centuries. And for us to, especially if you are a writer, storyteller, creator, that is a minority, a woman, any type of diversity, anything you represent, your gender, anything, all of those things, I think that you don't want anyone else to tell your story for you. And I think that's important because we need to hear it from your voice. We need to hear from your truth and from your authenticity in terms of how you want to be seen and heard in the world. And I think that there's just been so many louder voices that have been trying to tell our stories for us that it's time to take back all of those stories and tell it in our own voices so that we can represent ourselves fairly. Yeah, even more than fairly, it's looking through the lens, hearing the authentic voice and understanding what the heart of the matter is. Because I will tell you, truth is, as a white man, I don't have any fear of putting on a hoodie and walking down the street, but I know that for some people that is life and death to put on a hoodie. So I don't say this at all to be flip. I'm saying it is critical that we don't dismiss each other's voices. No, absolutely not. Yes. Everyone should have that opportunity to represent themselves the way that they want to be seen and heard. And I think that if we are given that opportunity, then we shouldn't waste it. We should be able to use it to our greatest power and responsibility to be able to tell our own stories in the best light. Now, regarding your experience with immersive storytelling, I know that you had years with Disney Imagineering, and that sort of helps build team think and creative problem solving. But was there any literature prior? What kinds of literature did you look to when studying this? What were your influences? Oh, gosh, there's so many. And in fact, I actually think I included a reading list of recommendations of the books that shaped the way that I told stories to. But in terms of immersive storytelling for location-based experiences, there weren't that many that I read. A lot of my education and research into it was in more traditional writing. I went to USC film school, so I did my degree in screenwriting. So a lot of my classes were writing for film and television, and that was it. At the time, we didn't have writing for games or writing for different kinds of media, and that's changed now. USC does have a program in it, and there are many different writing courses. But for me, I had to look into that by myself. I think that I read a lot of various typical screenwriting books like Save the Cat and The Writer's Journey and all, a whole bunch of other screenwriting books, but in more traditional screenwriting formats for TV and film. So a lot of what I learned, I think, is through experiences themselves and through different formats of storytelling that I enjoyed. Everything from reading books to watching TV and film to experiencing different immersive worlds or theater and seeing how the creators laid out that story and how they told those stories in unique ways. 
So a lot of it is self-taught. I think I drew inspiration from various different mediums. And I think that that's what made it interesting for me in my own education. But I would have to say that most of my learning was through mentors, especially in my time at Walt Disney Imagineering, the seven years that I was there, there was no better way for me to learn than to have these mentors and champions and advocates every day around me. And whether they're direct or indirect mentors, I learned so much from watching them, from shadowing them, from just following them in their day-to-day working life and seeing how everything was done, especially a company as huge and complex as Disney. There were so many different disciplines and departments that I could learn from. And I think that was truly the masterclass for me, learning from fellow Disney Imagineers, but also from our partners, like from Lucasfilm and everything. I think that I had some of the best people in the storytelling business to help guide my way, for lack of a better term. And how did you feel at the moment, probably growing up on Star Wars movies, to suddenly be handed the responsibility of working on this immersive storytelling with their catalog of amazing things that have been created before you, what kind of responsibility did you feel? Oh my gosh, it was the greatest privilege of my career. I think that growing up in the 80s and watching the movies and having all the toys and everything, and I remember when I was trying to get into Imagineering and didn't even get the showwriter job that was posted on their website and having a call from the executive producer to ask whether or not I'd be interested in a consultant position for a small little film that I may have heard of called Star Wars. And I was like, I'm in. You had me at Star. Let's do this. And I think that it was such a huge responsibility and such a huge privilege as well to carry that torch that George Lucas started. And I think that working with Lucasfilm and them being such generous partners and being so open to our ideas and being so receptive to anything that we threw at them and really having that very close-knit partnership and collaboration to create something that all of us were huge fans of. I mean, we dreamt of this for so long in our own lives to be able to walk into a land that was completely immersed in Star Wars. And what does that mean? What is that wish list of things we wanted to do? And to be able to work on something as awesome as that with people who are as passionate as you was such a great reward. And so it was a responsibility that none of us took lightly. It was something that we all had the greatest pleasure in working on. And it was a lot of hard work. I think that we couldn't have done it alone. And it really was such a team effort to bring that world to life. And when you talk about bringing a world to life, I think what the listener needs to remember is everything has to be made. When you want the sky field or if the participant looks up in VR, you have to make the clouds, you have to make the trees, you have to make the guns. It's virtually everything. All the details have to be thought out because you don't go in just shooting a world that already exists. You're not using a found location. Right. Everything 
that we built, we had to build from scratch because it's all in the details. And that's something that we understood is that we didn't want to break that immersion. So if you are in a planet in the Star Wars universe, or if you're in the galactic star cruiser in the Star Wars universe, you don't want one small detail that you overlooked to break that immersion. And that's always about that feeling of you being present in that environment. Do we often get 100% accuracy? Maybe not, but I think that if anything, Walt had trained his Imagineers very well that it is all about the details and that everything from the texture, the pavement that you walk on to the costumes of the cast members to the sights and the sounds and the taste, what does blue milk and green milk taste like? No one knew what that tasted like except for Mark Hamill. So I think that that was something that in everything that we did, it took a lot of thoughtful research and consideration in terms of how to make something so believable that you're really there that at the end of the day, you feel something because ultimately we are in the emotions business. We want people to feel connected to the experiences that they're immersed in so that they feel connected to it, to be a part of something larger than themselves. When I think about all of the various projects I've worked on, especially if they're immersive worlds, that's the first question that we ask ourselves is, why are we doing this? And how do we want our visitors and our guests to feel? So I think that there's so many things that you can consider when building worlds, but ultimately you have to consider the emotion. It's funny, I was involved for many, many years and still supporting a organization called Launch Leadership, and they really focused on experiential learning where it's not a teacher presenting things, it's not presentational, that small co-op is in charge of solving a problem or getting everybody out of the building through the window or doing something with very little instruction. And really, the learning is, is accelerated by the fact that everybody has to brainstorm, everybody has to look at people's sizes and shapes and try to figure out what to do with them. And I know that one of your titles was Senior Experiential Creative Lead and Story Development now for Airbnb. So I'm curious how a company like that uses the experiential creative approach to put their brand forward? Well, yeah. I can't talk too much about what we're currently working on at Airbnb, but what I can say is that at Airbnb, we're very interested in finding new ways to connect people. And I think that that's something that in everything that we do in terms of developing new products for Airbnb, that's something that we're always looking at is these new new ways for connection. All right, well, fair enough. I understand the future is now. You're working on it and you don't want to spoil anything. But I'm uh, somewhat amused. Uh, I was just in Chicago. Everything I see has the word immersive on it. And I'm thinking, maybe I just want to order a side salad. I don't want to take a bath in French dressing. So I, I just feel like they're overusing the word. Are you getting that feeling now too, that some people are calling everything immersive? Oh yeah, for sure. I think that again, it always goes back to the emotional and the meaning behind things. Because if you're projection mapping, moving images around a room, is that considered immersive? Maybe visually, but 
nothing else, visually and maybe audio-wise. But I don't know what I'm supposed to feel, and I don't know what the meaning or the purpose is behind it. And I think that the ones that are truly immersive storytelling are the ones where I feel something and where I do leave transformed. And so a lot of these so-called immersive experiences that I go through, oftentimes I go through it and I walk out and I question, what was that? Why did I even do that? Like, was that really worth my time? And I think that that's not how you want your guests and visitors to walk out of your experience feeling. You want them to question in other ways. You want them to question like, wow, that was eye-opening or it was thought-provoking, or I feel like I learned something, or I was enlightened by something, or that I feel like I want to take whatever I experience and put that into my real life, whatever that change is going to be. So I think that a lot of the times, these types of so-called immersive experiences feel like we can just do the most basic superficial thing and call it a day. But again, it really has to come down to that sense of presence and that emotion and the purpose, the meaning. Why are we doing this? Why does this story have to be told in this way and why now? And why are you the best people to tell that story? Because if it's just a multitude of companies that are trying to showcase a particular whatever it is in a way that feels very cookie cutter or generic, then it gets lost in the crowd, for me at least. I don't feel like it's anything that rises above the rest. Have you had a favorite experience, whether it was your own creation or another one that you were involved in, that had a tremendous impact on you that you would recommend? There's so many. And I actually wrote down a lot of those favorite experiences in my book. But I think the ones that are it's hard to say the favorite. I think that maybe one of the examples would be the first time I went into the Museum of Jurassic Technology in Los Angeles. And it's something that felt so bizarre and so unique and something that doesn't feel like anything I've ever experienced before. It stuck in my mind. It was trying to be something unique that no one else was doing. It really made me question why certain things are in a museum or a gallery. It makes you question everything. And so this idea of walking into a museum where everything is a curious object, it felt like you were walking into a cabinet of curiosities. And I love those type of experiences where it's unexpected and I never know what's going to be around the next corner. And having little surprises and just a moment to really look closely at something or listen closely to something or question something that you never questioned before. I think I've always been a curious kid and a curious person. So every time there are, are experiences where it makes me think about things differently or to see things differently are my most special kind of experiences. Have you ever experienced the Sleep No More show? Oh, yes, for sure. Yes. What I thought was interesting, that's in New York City. I don't know if it's still running or not, but... Oh, yeah, it reopened again. Excellent. All right. Well, what's so interesting about it, of course, is that every participant has a mask on. It's almost like an eyes wide shut kind of a 
experience. But even if you come with a group, they let you off the elevator alone on separate floors, and you're a voyeur in so many weird environments and you were walking into scenes that are in play. I was in a room where there was an older woman putting poison into a drink, and I was like, I have to follow this character. Like, I don't know who's going to die, but it, it feels like I'm compelled to follow this person. And then it's so carefully crafted that everybody ends up in a ballroom at the same banquet at the same time, no matter who you're following. And it does take a little bit of time to wrap your head around what's going on. And I had a very deeply unsettling feeling about spying on all of these things. I don't know why, but like I was in a room full of bathtubs and nobody was there and I was creeped out. I was like, this is like a insane asylum and I want to get out of here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know they have control of it, but I was like, nah, this isn't for me. I'm going to find my way back to the cocktail lounge. <laughs> Oh, yeah, for sure. I think that that's another example that I showed in my book as well, is that I love how they were so bold and fearless in trying to craft this nonlinear narrative storytelling in which you touch upon what I talked about in Museum of Jurassic Technology, which is following that path of curiosity. And it is you, you as Alice in Wonderland. It's you following a character that you're interested in it's you following what happens next, because that is storytelling. And so I think that Sleep No More, yes, it is a huge, gorgeous environment. And they give you so many different opportunities to be able to go to these various vignettes and these scenes unfold with different characters. And it's almost this voyeuristic quality to it that you feel like you are a peeping Tom and spying of sorts. And there's a wish fulfillment there for a lot of people to be a voyeur. So I think that they tapped into a lot of the very dark and dark, sometimes strange curiosities that we as humans have and really finding ways in which every single person who goes into that experience, even at the same time, has a different story to tell. And so every time you go into a sleep no more, you experience something different because you're with different people you're following a different path. And so it becomes this multilinear storytelling that engages you in different ways every single time you go in there. So I think I want more and more of those. I want more, not more sleep, no more, but more ways in which people can deconstruct and reframe stories in ways that we are constantly surprised and be able to satiate our curiosity and follow ourselves down these paths in a safe environment that invites us to play and to engage. When you're, let's say, giving advice on site-specific customization of an event, you have a series of questions that you ask, kind of world-building questions. And I will mention that all of this is in your book, so they don't have to take notes at the moment. You do have a great index of locations that ranges from Avengers Campus to Magic Castle to all these different kind of eclectic experiences you can have. So that is worth the price of the book alone is just to have a scavenger hunt of fun places to go. What I didn't see in there, by the way, have you ever been to the City Museum in St. Louis? No, I have never been there, but it looks amazing. I would love to go there. Well, I can tell you, it is the worst name for the coolest place. It sounds very pedestrian. There's so much interesting, cool stuff 
welded together and holes in the wall and you like you could take your five-year-old and lose them forever you would just have a heyday you'd be in there for so many hours but just get a tetanus shot before you go it's so so cool I would love to go there because it looks like they created something magical out of found objects, too. Like, I think there's an airplane that you can go into. There's airplanes, there's buses, there are all kinds of stuff welded together in the most haphazard way. But it kind of was started by a guy who was a folk artist, and he worked in cement. He did cement sculptures for city parks and things like that. But when you go into the men's room, it's welded together containers that used to make loaves of wonder bread like the whole men's room is made of these metal containers (laughs) and pillars are covered in pennies and it's a crazy whimsical magical place and i mean to compliment them in talking about it being sort of dangerous but the fact is it's not baby proofed it's designed to explore and have an adventure and cut loose i love that those are my favorite kinds of places where my two favorite questions is uh, why and why not? And I think that that museum sounds like it captures that. It's like, why are we doing this? You know, why not? We want we want a wall full of pennies, a men's room of uh, these metal containers. I think that having that artistic expression and freedom to really create something that is so unique, that opens your eyes and look at you talking about it, right? You have this like sense of wonder that's opened up as an adult. We're so stuck in our routines and our ways that we forget how to play. And I think that that's something that's so important that as we live our lives that we can never forget how to play. Well, I interrupted the initial question about your questions. So I know that the why, why not is one, but you have like the first five questions to ask yourself in some immersive storytelling. Is that something that you can share some piece of? Yeah, sure. The way that I thought about it is the best way for you to think about when you go into any type of storytelling project is to ask five questions. And I use the story as the acronym. And the first way to think about it is S. The first letter is share. Why share the story with the world? Because if you as the storyteller don't know why you're sharing this story with the world, then no one will care about it. The second T of story is theme. What's the theme of your experience? Because like any good story, your experience needs a theme. O, one of a kind. How can I make this experience unique and one of a kind and an experience that isn't already out there? Because there's just so much noise out there that you want to be able to capture the imagination of the visitor in a surprising way. R is reflect. Why am I the best to tell this story? And it's a big one because knowing who you are as a storyteller will help give your experience a perspective. And finally, why is yearn? What will visitors yearn to experience? What is their wish fulfillment? And any type of storytelling experience, you are fulfilling that. It's an aspiration that you want to deliver, a promise to your guest. So what is that guest promise that you are going to fulfill? So share, theme, one of a kind, reflect, and yearn. It's a simple acronym, but it does give you a guidepost to answer quite a few questions that get you on the path to telling a story in the right way. Your book is certainly, hopefully, it will open the doors for many more voices 
that are going to get us out there and get us active in being a part of stories. It's called Immersive Storytelling for Real and Imagined Worlds. And I would encourage folks to go check out Margaret's website, which is margaretkirison.com, K-E-R-R-I-S-O-N, to find out more. And soon we will know the secret of the Airbnb way to connect with each other. <laughs> Thanks so much, Pat, for having me. This was great. Thanks for listening. Take a moment to subscribe, and we will always hold your seat for more creative conversation and a weekly spark of inspiration. Our show is produced by Sweetwood Creative in Austin, Texas, with sound editing under the steady hand of Marcus Siniskalki. Our original music theme was written and sung by Maya Sharp, with additional production support and sanity provided by Delilah Lovejoy, Tony Deo, Tucker Hazel, and Diane Johansson. Please feel free to share your input or dash off a review on social media to help us grow our creative community. You can find us on Instagram at Pat Hazel with two L's or visit our website at creativityandcaptivity.fun. You heard that right. It's dot fun. As in cross your T's and dot your fun. Ciao for now. Stare.